What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thank you for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that enlightens and inspires listeners with insights from distinguished business leaders and subject matter experts. Our conversations are designed to make you think, inspire you to ever reach for cultivating your best, and take an informed approach toward leadership and business. Our guest today is Lauren Hollows. She's the Director of Learning Lifelines. She is a lifelong educator within the vocational education sector, and her work and personal purpose is to empower educators and education institutions to support learners to become independent critical thinkers through purpose-based management and language. We'll be talking about how purpose-based management serves educators and students and how to apply this framework in the post-COVID-19 world. She joins us today from Perth, Australia. Lauren, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm dandy. I'm talking to you. What are you talking about? This is amazing. <laughs> you are so positive. I am. I mean, why not? I'm, I'm vertical. I've got air in my lungs. I'm happy. I'm well. I'm, why not? I know. We woke up this morning, so. Right? Uh, we have to quickly, after, actually, let's do this. I want you to introduce yourself um, as, as you would. You know that I'm, I'm an identity researcher, and I want you to kind of presence for us all the things that, that are important to you that make Lauren, Lauren. And then afterwards, I want to tell our guests how it is that we met some time ago. So go for it. Uh, okay, sure. So uh, I, yeah, I'm director of Learning Lifelines, which is an organization, a new not-for-profit, which kind of helps address um, the digital divide, which we've seen post-COVID and which was uh, present long before that. So we help repurposing computers and, and getting them to students in need to hopefully help increase education outcomes. Um, I am a mother to two incredibly beautiful boys, and I'm sure I'm not biased about that in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> <I hope> not. <laughs> um, I am a volunteer firefighter, have been for about nearly three years now, which is awesome. Um, and I'm an educator and a learner just through and through and through. Oh my gosh, it's so, it's so exciting and wonderful to have you on the program. And let me now, let's tell our, our listeners and our viewers how it is that we found each other. So gosh, more than let's call it, let's, let's say that we're talking about what, 20, about 26 years ago when I was in Portland, Oregon, I worked with your mother, Susie, who was another amazing woman. Yes. A special friend of mine. And we kept in touch through, thanks to social media over these years. When I reached out a few months ago saying, hey, I'm looking for women to be part of my anthology about women living their purpose, she said, I know exactly who you should talk to, my daughter. And so, of course, I ensnared you in that project, and your story is featured in Passionately Striving and Why, Women Who Persevere Mildly to Live Their Purpose. Can't wait to share your story with people all over the world. And then once I read that, I went, you know what? You need to come on the radio show, too. So <laughs> here we are, like all these years later, it's so amazing reconvened. And so listeners, isn't it amazing? The power of staying in touch and the power of an interconnected world. Yes, absolutely. And it's just, I think it's just amazing how amazing women breed amazing women. And, you know, I know that, you know, I had you as an example growing up and you were always so bubbly and passionate. And um, at the same time, there was Connie 
who was another friend of mom's that I know that you guys, and she was like this really, you know, had just just massive amount of strong bravado. So I was so fortunate to grow up around all of these really incredible women who just, you know, told me that, you know, if I ha- if I wanted to go out and do something, I could absolutely go out and do something. It makes a big difference who you hang out with, let me tell you. Um, all right, so let's let's get our listeners into your world. I'm fascinated as an American. I've never heard the term vocational education and training per se like that. Yes, I have, but but you have a specific bent on it. So first, I want to know why were you attracted to this field? Um, so I had never ever intended to work in vet. I initially um, was planning on working in psychology, and then and then got redirected into education, which I absolutely loved. I've always been really big on education. There's like twenty seven thousand teachers in my family, um, and so after I became a single mom, I, I was a single mom with you know like a six month old baby. Um, I was trying to get work in schools and my dad just happened to meet this woman who was running vocational education training. She was like, look, I need somebody to help. But she literally worked across from a daycare center. Um, so I started working in there and, you know, she, she kind of taught me about what she was doing and she was training people in childcare and I had an education degree. So, you know, started working a little bit more and about, I think it was about nine months into it. Um, that we like at this point I was I was training uh, and working with the students and it was like one of our first big cohorts that went through that I'd actually trained and I had this woman who um, you know came in to collect her certificate and she finished her cert three which in Australia kind of meant that she was qualified to work as a child care educator and she came in and I gave her this piece of paper and she just burst into tears and I was like, you know, what's the matter? You know, are you okay? And she goes, she said, I, I never thought I could accomplish something. She goes, she said, I, you know, she says, you know my history. Like, I've come from a really bad place. And she'd come from a really abusive past. And, um, you know, she had two very young children. She goes, she goes, I don't have to worry about providing for my kids. I've got a job now. She said, and... I, I know that I, I can do that and I know and, and it was this value that was attached to this six month training course that she'd done and because there was a similarity in histories like I was just sobbing by the end of it she was sobbing by the end of it and <laughs> and so you know she kind of she she finished up and I handed it out to her and everything and and I just kind of went it's great teaching kids but like this was the second chance that you know, only vocational education could provide. You couldn't get this in university. You couldn't get this in, you know, in high school. This was a, just this incredibly unique space to give people a second chance and show them how education can create an incredible new sense of value and opportunity for them, which I, I just fell in love with. How could you resist this? I mean, I'm completely with you, completely with you. How exciting. And by the way, in my view, if a conversation produces tears that come from being moved, it's good anytime, right? It's anytime. Good. Anytime. Yeah. I'll take it every day, all day long. Um, all right. So now let's get let's let's get um, into the, the conversation about purpose-based language. And you, I, I'm so interested in talking to you about this because you your focus is on education. So your work is focused on linking purpose-based language to good management practices to create intrinsic motiva- motivation for educators, which is fascinating. Tell us more. Why does it work? Um, so, look, I, ed- ed- education is one of these areas, particularly in Australia. We have got a lot of, um, ed- of legislation 
um, that kind of controls how we educate and who we educate to and how all the funding works and everything like that. So it is it is a really highly regulated industry. And people who get into the industry get in for the same reason that I got in, is that they want to make a difference. They want to change people's lives. They want to impart all of their skills. And so there's this really kind of pure purpose to it. And then they get into it and it's like, and there's all this paperwork and then there's all these really hard moments of working with students that can be emotionally exhausting. And then there's more paperwork and more paperwork and more paperwork. (laughs) And so for someone who is like a trainer and who is focused on relationships and working with people, um, the paperwork side of it is really, really difficult. So I think that if, if a business is really, really focused on compliance, which we have to be in order to operate in our sector, um, that can drain the kind of, I, I guess it can, it, can, it can drain the purpose and it can drain the life out of a person if they're not careful. Um, whereas if we, we inter- when we introduce com- um, purpose-based management as opposed to like a compliance-based fear environment, it moves it back into a quality-focused, student-focused space that kind of aligns to their own purpose. So we go, yeah, we've got to do this, but the reason why we have to do this is because we want to make sure that we're giving the right experience to our student. We want to make sure that everyone's being consistent. We want to make sure, you know, X, Y, and Z. So it just, because they have that why, it helps them understand that they've just got to give that little bit more extra and it doesn't hurt as much. Um, over time. Okay, so what I hear from that, Lauren, is basically what you're doing, and I, because I do this in my work too, is, which makes sense, right? Why, why it works in education as well as it does in, in organizations, as well as it does in, in, in nonprofits, is really what you're doing is by elevating the conversation back to purpose, you allow them to come back to and draw from their, their passion. Yeah, absolutely. And not enough businesses talk about, you know, purpose, especially when they get bogged down in compliance. And I mean, particularly with education, you know, we're not selling, you know, you know, we're not, we're not selling pharmaceuticals. We're not, um, you know, selling insurance. You know, it's such a pure purpose of giving people opportunity and and growing, um, you know, you know, growing more fully happy human beings. Yeah, it's. I was just thinking, what are you selling? Is somebody's beautiful, precious life and the opportunity to actually live it fully. That's what you're yeah, selling. Absolutely. Amazing, right? That's what you're selling. Um, now, I was very interested too, you talk about in, in our, one of our exchanges, you were talking about how purpose-based management helps educators combat the emotional fatigue that teachers and trainers who work with disadvantaged students face. Say more about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, so um, I, like one of the RTOs that I work with, um, one of the one of the colleges that I work with, we we have a focus on probably like fifteen to nineteen year old young males um, who are and and they train building and construction, so it's all really like hands on sorts of trades and things like that. Um, the vast majority of the kids that are coming into this are coming in because um, traditional education pathways didn't work for them. We've got kids that are coming in uh, as a referral from DCP, which is the Department of Child Protection. Uh, we've got a you know, high proportion of kids who have got ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, 
and a lot of them come from um, really difficult home backgrounds. So education has not been valued in the workplace. Literacy has not been valued, sorry, in the home. Literacy has not been valued in the home. Um, and so these kids, this is kind of like a last ditch opportunity to get them into education and, and to do it in a way that is really hands-on and it's really focused on building skills. Um, and, you know, as part of that, our, our teachers, our, our trainers are dealing with kids that are, you know, just dealing with a huge scale of emotional issues and even like having a psychology background. And, and we're very lucky um, when I set this program, when, when we set the program, we've got a mentoring program that kind of operates alongside of it. So we've got a, a full-time counselor on site as well. And then we've got students who are studying their social and, and family and youth work degrees that also volunteer on site all to help support the emotional and psychological support of the students. Um, but that burden on the trainers as well, you know, to, to have to come in and, you know, a couple of weeks ago it was dealing with a 15-year-old whose girlfriend had fallen pregnant and, you know, he was going to have to go home and tell his parents and he thought that he was going to get kicked out of the house. A couple of weeks before that we had a kid that um, had cut himself up the night before and so we had to take him to the hospital and go through the whole process of, you know, he's trying to commit suicide and all these sorts of things. So um, there's just a lot of really harsh emotional issues that they've got to kind of deal with when their focus is on building skills, but then they've got all of this other stuff that they've got to, I guess, address just in order to engage the student and keep them focused. And it's like, well, how can you focus on school when you're worried about going home and telling your mom and dad that, you know, you've made this incredibly... <laughs> incredibly life-changing mistake um you know so to be able to deal with all of that you know again bringing that focus back to i'm doing this because i am these kids last chance to move forward um really does kind of help center them at the end of the day and knowing again that there's an entire team there every one of whom supports that goal so we can then all share that burden together of like yeah, here's what you've had to talk with and, and go through today. Um, we all share that experience with you. We all share the purpose of this is where we want to get these kids to. Um, and again, you know, just, it's just about talking about that shared purpose. Everyone knows that's what we're working towards, but everybody knows the payoff at the end of the day as well. Mm -hmm. So what I want to present further for our listeners and viewers is that really to do that kind of work really takes something from a human being. It takes an enormous, profound amount of effort and focus and dedication. And so being fortified with purpose, which is really the, the that ability to see beyond the day-to-day -day exchange of what's happening in the moment with a student is, is really the pulling force. Yeah, and, and not have to burden that yourself. I mean, I think it's great when people, you know, when people know their purpose and they can go home at the end of the day and go, I'm doing this because of this, you know, I'm right. doing this because it makes a difference. That's fantastic. Uh, and there's a lot of people that don't even have that uh, to then enhance that by sharing that, by knowing and talking about the fact that you're sharing that with a team by having your manager come and say, this is why you're doing this. And I really appreciate you. And I know the emotional burden that it's taking on you, but this is what we're all working towards together. And you've had a bad day today. You're going to have a better day tomorrow. Um, again, I just I, th I think that that's just really reaffirming of like I, I am allowed to be exhausted about this, but it's okay because other people understand that, and I know that 
that are going to have a better day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's that constant presencing of that language that's so important. It's not enough to say it, hey, once at the beginning of the quarter, when you first come on board the job, it's got to be sprinkled throughout the course of that person's work journey. Yeah, yeah. All right, and on that note, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on here with Lauren Hollos. She's a director of Learning Lifelines. Due to today from Perth, Australia, we've been talking a bit about why she's doing the work that she's doing and why it's important to her. After the break, we're going to talk about how purpose-based learning serves students. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Lauren Hollows. She's the Director of Learning Lifelines. She is a lifelong educator with the vocational education sector and her work and personal purpose is to empower educators and education institutions to support learners to become independent critical thinkers through purpose-based management and language. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So before we get into how purpose-based learning serves students, Lauren, I know that you've just recently launched your nonprofit, Learning Lifelines. What is that all about? Yeah, uh, it was very exciting. Um, I've come from a very um, highly regulated background, and, and apparently I, my desire was to get into one that was even more regulated. Um, <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, so I chose not for profits. <laughs> uh, no, so during, during COVID, one of my roles um, in the very early stages was to work with learning organizations to basically within like a two to three week period transfer all of our training from face-to-face delivery to completely online delivery for a very high needs cohort. Um, And so, you know, obviously as part of that and in in my work with a lot of different other learning organizations, this huge issue of learners not having access to technology. and, And we kind of made an assumption that like, well, everyone's got a smartphone, you know? So we thought if we can get it working through a smartphone, we'll be fine. Um, but, you know, like you can't have Zoom open and have a smartphone open at the same time. Um, even if they even if they did have a smartphone, whether or not they had the data to support, um, you know, actually participating and downloading that type of video or even live streaming videos um, was very, very difficult. So we came into all of these barriers really, really quickly. Um, and I, I, at that point I was kind of like, oh, like how is, it, is this like this particular group of students that I was hearing it from more and more um, training organizations that kind of worked in similar spaces to us, but you know, for international students and for, um, you know, for job seeker students and for young, young students under the age of 18, you know, where all of a sudden there was one laptop in the household, but there was now six people that needed to use that laptop simultaneously. You know, they just, there was just no access. 
Um, and so they were kind of like, look, I, I just, I don't have it. I, I don't have, you know, I can't access it on my mobile because I don't have data. I don't have a laptop. We don't have internet in our household. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of started looking at what our options were. And within our particular space, there was a big rot a couple of years ago um, where these a bunch of colleges went around kind of promising laptops for people in, in trade for signing up for this free qualification that actually came with like a $10,000 debt. Um, and so it's now very like taboo and it's actually like illegal and against several of the funding contracts to provide technology to the students. So we've got a situation where we can provide this online training, but we actually can't provide you with the tools that you need to access that technology. Um, so as a result of that, I started talking to, to colleges and they were like, well, you know, like we've got all of these laptops here. And I was like, okay, so we've got laptops, we've got students that need laptops. What do we need to do to get one to the other? And I started looking for organizations that were doing that and there just wasn't anyone. Um, and the more I started learning and reading about this kind of growing digital divide, it was kind of like it, for those students that had like plenty of laptops and plenty of Wi-Fi and internet in the house, they were coping okay and they were still able to participate in education. But for those that didn't have that opportunity, it was just like, well, that was it. Education just went out the window. And so, you know, in relation to kind of this, this resource of the classes and things like that it was just amplifying the issue 10 times over and that's kind of how life learning lifelines was developed um so we now take laptops and we're taking our first 50 laptops in the next two weeks and we're going to refurbish them and we're partnering them with internet um and then we're basically going to start furnishing them to students who don't have the means to have that sort of resource and by putting an internet and laptop into a household, that means they've got access to telehealth. It means they've got access to mental health support services. It means they've got access to online counseling services and a whole range of other um, like free online courses in digital literacy and, and um, you know, financial literacy and things like that. So the, the first concept is just to get the laptop and the internet into the household. And then that's going to open up all sorts of other opportunities from there in relationship to digital literacy and really starting to make sure that people can use that technology to improve their lives. Hats off, my dear. Really, that is so, talk about making a difference in the world at a profound time. So we're going to talk more about what's happening in, in the post-COVID world after this next segment here. But I just kind of wanted to position that first. That, that is amazing, Lauren. Congratulations on launching that. Well, we're very excited. It's beautiful. Um, all right. So what I want to do next for our listeners and viewers is, is talk about how purpose-based learning serves students. So we were talking before about how it helps educators, but if you could contrast for the experience of students in a learning environment not anchored in purpose, what was what's it like for them to, to try to learn in that environment and then bring us into one in purpose anchor? Um, so I guess probably the two areas where I see this the most is in what we would call international education. So that's international students coming into the country um, for the purpose of study and also in job seeker education. And, and they're a little bit different, but they're also very much the same. And you've got two very different classes of students. And when you go into a classroom, you can pick it out in about five minutes. There are those students that are there because they want to gain the particular skill that that course offers. Um, and then there are students that are there for an alternate reason. And it's not necessarily the wrong reason, um, but the purpose of them being there is not aligned to the purpose of the course. 
and that creates all sorts of conflicts. Um, so, you know, with international education, uh, there are specific courses that students will come in and study because it will lead them to a visa outcome. And again, that's about them gaining opportunities and wanting to come and live in this amazing country of Australia where we are so very, very fortunate. Um, and the same applies to the United States. Um, however, the, the experience that they have, as opposed to the students that comes into the course because they want to learn the skills of a chef, as opposed to the student that actually wants to be um, a bricklayer or they want to be an IT specialist, but they've come in because this is going to be the quickest pathway to getting a visa. Um, for them to be then go on to do what they want, really want to do, um, makes the the entire learning experience completely different. Because one's doing it because they want to, so there's an intrinsic motivation, and there's you know, so from a compliance perspective, they're like, yeah, I'll do that because that's what I've got to do in industry, and that's what I have to do to learn this skill that I really want to learn. Uh, and for others, it's like I don't really even want to be here. I have to be here, so it's compliance and you're forcing me to do something. And therefore, you know, I, I don't, because I don't see the intrinsic value, because we don't share that, that same purpose, I, I, you know, everything is gonna be forced upon me and therefore um, it, it, it makes the experience far less enjoyable. Yeah, so, you know, I, what I get is the resistance factor, you know, the crossed arms, like, you know, okay, I'll do it if I have to, but I really don't want to. and. It's so interesting for me, Lauren, to talk about the world of purpose because underneath that are lots of things like meaning and motivation, which are very closely related, of course. Um, but, but I can't help but go to the pull motivation when you're pulled to something bigger and beyond yourself and the push motivation, right? So in the, the pull is intrinsic and the push is, in, is extrinsic. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated with really just how to position this and help, and help your students get present to why they're here, how important that is. Yeah, and look, I, mean, I think it, it, it's it's very interesting. And I've been I've been really lucky. I work I've worked across schools that teach so many different things. Um, and so when I've talked to chefs that really want to be chefs, they are not. It's it, you know for a lot of them, it hasn't been. I, I want to do this because I really love cooking food. But it was about you know I love being able to create this experience where someone comes in and they sit down and they have a meal together and they share this connection. Um, and, and, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I didn't really, like, you know, I, I just thought you must like really like food. Um, and they're, you know, they're like, no, it's not about, you know, it's about this and that's my purpose. And it was, it was a, it was a very selfless purpose of wanting to give this beautiful experience and allow moments where families and loved ones could create and connect to each other. Um, you know, and when, when we were talking about wanting to be a brickie, I want to be a brickie because... I want to create. I want to create the place that somebody's going to call home one day. You know, and I, and I want to make sure that that home is safe, and I want to make sure it's secure, and I want to make sure that it's going to protect them from the elements, and it's going to be done in a way that it's going to allow you know them to stay safe. And I go, oh, I didn't, you know. And so you just start when you start talking to people who are really passionate and purposeful about the industry that they want to be in. There is always this kind of more altruistic cause um which you know and, and being able to talk to the trainers and the students about that and then once you've kind of found that way of um i want to say selling it it's, it's not selling it but when you find that way of describing it and then you start elaborating that for students so when they kind of go well i i, I want i think i, I want to be a chef i don't know why and I'm like, you know, well, what is it that you like about being a chef? And they're like, oh, 
you know, like I just, I've got really fond memories of, you know, I said, so it's not, you know, and you kind of lead them slowly to this sort of path of self-discovery of like, this is why they've enrolled in the course and this is, and then they kind of go, yeah, that's it. Like that's, that's why I love it. Like that's what I want. And then they kind of go, oh, and you see this kind of like clicking moment. And then that, then from then on, it's easy because it's like, that's why I want to do this. Um, And when you can't make that connection, like when the connection is not there because the the ultimate goal is something that is just not related to the industry, it's just, it's a very, it's a different approach that you have to take. And it's still very important to find out the purpose, but you can see the level of joy, the level of engagement for the, for the learner and for the, for the trainer is just very, very different. Um, in, in relation to the way that they engage and the level of enjoyment that they that they have through the process. Oh, I, I, learning, learning is uncomfortable, you know. Learning requires putting yourself out there, requires being wrong, it requires making mistakes. These are all things that are very uncomfortable. If you're doing that for a particular purpose, it makes all of that stuff so much easier. I totally get this, and I'm laughing and smiling with you because, of course, I get to do that same work that you do inside organizations. And, and so what you what's important for our listeners and viewers to understand is that there is a process that you're taking these people through, which is to help them get present to and discover what the, why this is important to them. Why is this kind of work important to them? And it is that discovery process when they discover their why, their connection, that makes it so powerful. Um, all right. So the next thing I want to talk about here, uh, and I want to just get this from our exchange because it was so beautiful the way that you said it in, in your email. You mentioned um, that education is not that is not purpose-based is a piece of paper with some fancy words, but no skills, no substance. Rather, you seem to align with the words of the late Martin Luther King, who said, "Quote: The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character. That is the goal of true education." Could you expand a bit on that and why that's important to you? Um. Yeah. So it, he was. He, it was like he was a seer, right? <laughs> like, um, he just he saw things and he was so beautifully eloquent about it. And I think if he was here today, um, you know, all of this, I feel like he would look at all everything that's happening today and go like, it is okay. And this is how we fix it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, education is fantastic and it is really, really important to build knowledge and skills. But I truly believe that the 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 core purpose of education is to create learners, lifelong learners, critical thinkers, um, because it it literally doesn't matter the industry that you're training people up for, the job that you're training people up for, what it is going, what it is today is not what it's going to be in five years. It's definitely not what it's going to be in 10 years. Um, And it's not what it's going to be in, you know, 20 years. So if we are going to train people up for tomorrow, we need to be able to teach them more so how to critically think and engage and adapt uh, and give them the base skills for that industry. But at the same time, I want to give them a lifelong, like a set of skills that they're going to be able to use lifelong that are going to make sure that they can stay in that industry, that they can stay in an industry uh, and that they're not going to become redundant in a few years time because I only learned how to do X and I can't do, you know, X is not being done anymore. There are so many industries that we look at now where they're not going to be industries. Like nobody 
when I when it was when I was my age, nobody was like, I want to be a YouTuber because there was no such thing as a YouTuber. Right. That was not a thing. Um, you know, I, and nobody wanted to work at Google because Google was not a thing. You know, so the things that that our kids are going to want to be in twenty years time, we probably don't even know what they are now mm-hmm. for some of those things. Right. Uh, so, so I can train them for a specific set of skills, but more importantly, I think you know, as as Martin Luther King said, we need to teach them to think critically, particularly nowadays where we have an overabundance of information, we need to teach them how to um, critically discuss and, and, and have a rational and civil discourse about issues. And we need to help them sift through information. Because, you know, again, when I was growing up as a kid, when you went and got information, it was, you know, you were 90% confident that you were getting decent information. If you watched the news, you were getting good, solid, fairly unbiased information. Um, you know, when you read it, when you read, you read from dictionary um, and there was only one definition of something. Whereas now we get a lot of our information from social media. It's not validated. Um, you know, it's highly biased in either direction. So we need to teach kids to be critical thinkers about where they get their information from, about you know understanding how to interpret bias, about being able to have a civil discourse when you disagree with someone who doesn't believe what you believe. And if I can impart those skills on a student, then I know that even if their job changes, they're going to be adaptable enough to find the information that they need and they're going to be able to Ask the ask the difficult questions, have the difficult discussions, and be able to progress on from that point. Mm. And that sounds like a good education to me, and one that is sorely needed today. Let's take our second break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Lauren Hollows, who is the director of Life Learning Lifelines. She joins us today from Perth, Australia. We've been talking about how a purpose-based management and language system benefits students. After the break, we're going to talk about education in the new post-COVID-19 world. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Lauren Hollow. She is the Director of Learning Lifelines. She is a lifelong educator within the vocational education sector, and her work and personal purpose is to empower educators and education institutions to support learners to become independent critical thinkers through purpose-based management and language. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So this last segment, Lauren, I wanted to focus on this new world we found ourselves in. Here we've, we were in the pandemic still as we speak, and we're trying to make our way through it. We're starting school here. My daughter is actually starting school again as a, a senior today. Um, and obviously 2020 has entirely changed the educational landscape by putting it online and at home. So 
you started by sharing some of this with the new nonprofit that you, you, you're, you've launched, but share with us some of your observations and insights you have about just how problematic and maybe opportunistic the shift has been. I mean, I was ready for, um, nobody was ready for COVID. <laughs> nobody expected it. Um, and so while online education has definitely been growing for, um, for quite a few years now in relationship to taking mainstream education online, there was just very, very few schools that were ready for it at any level. We're talking about from year one through to university, just nobody was ready for it. Um, and so I, I think that, again, everyone, most people made an assumption um, within the Western world that most of us have a smartphone. And so therefore we could kind of take it online and it would work like it did in the workplaces. Um, and then of course, you know, it's kind of this thing of like the haves have, have done better at have that they've done really well out of this because they've been able to kind of, they've, they, you know, they're, they're the people who have been able to work from home, you know, have maintained their income and therefore the kids have, you know, had, had, they've had time to do more, you know, training and education with the kids. Um, and so while it's been challenging, it's been manageable. Um, whereas, you know, as I said, if all of a sudden you've got, you know, three generations in a household, you've got six people who need to use a laptop that, you know, barely functioned for one person or there isn't a laptop at all or, there, you know, there isn't any internet, um, you know, here in Australia to have, you know, to have a computer, to have internet in your household, you're looking at probably around, you know, a few thousand dollars a year, maybe, you know, three, three, four thousand dollars a year in order to be able to have a sufficient coverage to engage in an education and, and out in the rural areas, um, because Australia is a very big, wide, diverse land and there's places where, you know, we, we still don't have phone coverage. Um, those sorts of locations were simply not able to facilitate online education in any way, shape or form. And those were often in the communities where education was needed the most. So, you know, it's it's kind of amplified, like it has, like COVID seems to have done with everything. It has amplified the problems. It has amplified the divide. And so, you know, one, I think we desperately need to address that. Um, I don't see education going back to its traditional paradigm in the vast majority, certainly not in the vet space. Um, the majority of, of where we work out with, with adults will remain blended education, I think fairly indefinitely now, um, but it's then getting the technology to the people who know how to use it. And, and you know, whether or not technology is a right that everybody deserves, I don't want to get into that argument, but certainly, from an opportunity perspective, not having technology, um, you know, I, I think is going to define your opportunities moving forward post-2020. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Indeed. So you've already really helped us into your world of why you, your lens of how you see education being so important to be able to listen, to engage, to discern. And I think you did that beautifully. So next, if you would, especially for those people that are scratching their head about how this whole purpose stuff works, how can educational institutions imbue purpose in this new digital world? Um, so again, I, I think firstly, they have to connect with, with purpose to begin with. 
Um, and I, I, I think, I, I guess my big concern with education's moving forward, um, even where they have realized their purpose is, um, I, I think because we want to create safe spaces within education, we're actually working against our natural purpose. So th this idea of creating a safe space in order to be able to, to for people to experience their feelings um, was a really beautiful concept to begin with, but it's now working against the initial, like the, the, the essence and purpose of what an education institution is. And that is a place where people go to um, ultimately create a set of beliefs and values and, I, and, and figure out what their purpose is. And again, I, I, that learning process is so uncomfortable. That learning process has got to involve discomfort. I, I think for learning institutions, what we need to do is, is we need to move back a little bit and find a balance of yes, wanting to make sure that we're providing spaces um, where people are, are happy to express and, and open to expressing their opinions, but we also need to encourage students to realize that in order to find their purpose, in order to rationalize their purpose, in order to um, you know refine their purpose, they are going to need to be uncomfortable they are going to, there is a potential to be offended through that process. Um, and that's okay. That's, you know, again, failing sucks. You know, we, we kind of all go, you know, like failing sucks. Um, it doesn't feel good, but it's so crucial to learning. You know, it's so crucial to have an environment where it's okay to, you know, classrooms are places where it is okay to make a mistake, you know, where we should be celebrating mistakes. Um, it's really uncomfortable to stand up and put your thoughts and your beliefs out to the, you know, out to the masses, um, you know, even to put them out to one or two people. And, but we have to do that. Do you know what I mean? We, we cannot, um, you cannot find your purpose if all you do is, is work with people who believe what you believe. And, I, and I, I adore Simon Sinek. I think he's amazing. He's definitely one of the people who brought me into this whole concept of, of understanding the, the importance of, of purpose based. But the one thing I disagree with him on is that he says, work with people who believe what you believe. Yes, there is, there is some truth to that, but work with people who believe, you know, work with people who don't believe what you believe. And if your beliefs stand up, in civil discourse, then you really know that you're onto something, right? You know, if you can have a, a civil discourse with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe and you can um, anecdotally and empirically, you know, have that discussion and still feel confident in what you believe, then you know that you're that you're onto something, right? If you, if I only surround myself with people who believe what I believe and they tell me and they're, they're constantly reinforcing what I say, then you're going to end up in a position where you, you're believing something, but you know, it's never been tested before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if I say that, you know, that this piece of paper is blue and the piece of paper is red, but everybody around me believes that the piece of paper is blue, then, you know, I don't know any better. Um, so I think education institutions have a real responsibility in the wake of everything at the moment, we almost have a responsibility to correct 
some of the wrongs being done by the mass media at the moment um, in creating really critical thinkers who are going to sit down and they're going to have this rational discussion and they're going to work on their purpose and they're going to keep refining their purpose and they're going to keep refining their beliefs until they go, this is me, this is who I am, this is what I believe and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm confident enough in those beliefs to have a discussion with you even though you think otherwise. I think if education institutions did that, we would just we would be in such a better place. Oh, it would change the world. Well, quickly to present this and see and to bring it back, I I have been co-hosting a conscious community online cafe with my cohort, Dr. Neha Sangwan, bringing people from across the world to have conversations about what's meaningful and matters to them, especially as we kick it off around anxiety. And we we created a space for people from very different perspectives, not intentionally, but the topic of, of course, wearing masks came up. And two people from very different perspectives weighed in on the conversation, and it was respectful. People listened. They did it without um, without um, judgment, and they and both sides came to a new understanding of what, what it was like for the other. And to me, I was like, that is what a conscious, open dialogue looks like from people who are, who are, who are doing listening generously, as you said before, listening with curiosity and an open mind, looking to see what they can learn from the other side without just defending their own views. Wow, what would happen if the world more commonly interacted like that? And, and everyone would have taken something away from it. They may have still held true to their beliefs, mm-hmm. but they would have taken, you know, like they there would have been that little bit of growth, you know, for everyone going, okay, well, you know, maybe they're not crazy. Maybe they believe what they believe because of this. And I disagree with that, but, you know, I respect their right to have that opinion. Right. And and so we were talking about how just living and working and being educated from a purpose-based um, framework really helps prepare people for living in this more complex world we live in. Can you say just a couple more things about that? And we're about out of time. So if you could be brief. Um, yeah, look, I, I think we have a greater capacity for change um, now more than ever. Whether it's education, growth, progress, development, they all require this level of discomfort, but purpose is this kind of uniting opportunity. Uh, We're at a precipice at the moment, for sure, where we can either reject discomfort um, because, you know, it's just too difficult or we can lean into it. If we want to meaningfully experience life and, and we need to steep ourselves in the discomfort, we need to surround ourselves and engage with people who don't believe what we believe. Um, and I think that if we can, if we can muddle through that mess, if we can, if we can sit in the discomfort and, and the awkwardness for long enough to grow something and to have that civil discussion, we will be much more united on focusing on the problems that we need to solve together um, and, and the united purpose and less focused about the divisive how of how we're going to achieve it. And we can, we can come to that middle ground. I like it. I'm, I'm, I think that's worth getting up for for me, Lauren. I'm, I'm with you in the trenches for that all day long. So here we are at the end of the, of the conversation already. Um, and you know this thing is listened to across the globe, Lauren, and it's really designed to help people think about how to create more meaning and purpose in their lives and their work. Say in about 30 seconds, what would you like to leave our listeners and viewers with? Uh, go out today, have an awkward conversation with someone who doesn't believe what you believe. Take a little tiny bit away from it organized to have that discussion again in a couple of days time and if everybody around the world did that uh, you know we did that day in day out i can get you we can we can absolutely achieve anything 
I completely agree. Lauren, I am so grateful that you came on, especially since it's 10 p.m. Uh, your time. It's 9 a.m. my time. I appreciate that you stayed up for us. What a great conversation. Um, thank you for joining us. Tell our listeners the two ways and websites that you can be found at, please. Uh, so, I, I, look, I put all of my stuff up on LinkedIn, Lauren Hollows, um, and you can find me on YouTube as well, but you can also go to www.learninglifelines.org or www.thriveed.com.au for more of my personal blogs. Um, but please check out Learning Lifelines. We will have some accounts coming up soon and, and every dollar is going to go towards helping students access education. Beautiful, Lauren. Thank you so much. Um, and listeners and viewers, last week, if you missed the live show, you can always get your re-recorded podcast or on YouTube as well. We are on the air with Barbara Altunian talking about her work as a hospice biographer. Fantastic way to capture identity and a life and share it with your loved ones. Next week, we'll be on the air with Dr. Herb Sennett talking about his long and distinguished career as the encouragement doctor. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.